0: For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the
1: artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper.
0: Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating this afternoon? Uh... As I say on every show, there's always something to celebrate. And today we're celebrating a little earlier than usual because tonight I am going to see my dear friend Ann Tallman, who is doing her celebration of Elizabeth Taylor at 54 Below. So I, and today is her birthday. So that's worth celebrating. Uh, I also celebrate Elizabeth Taylor. Those of you who know my show know about my encounter with Elizabeth Taylor. We'll save that for another show. Uh, Today is Positive Thinking Day. And those of you who know me know I'm all about positive thinking. It's also National Fortune Cookie Day. That's always celebrating. And it's also Resist Superstitions Day. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm very superstitious. And most people who are in the theater are very superstitious. And I am so excited about today's guest. First of all, Damon Evans. We have been corresponding with each other for so
1: long. I know, I know. My appearance and- today is because of the great Albert Peaches Poland. Albert uh, Peaches Poland. Yes. you know, <laughs> Nick and I went to uh, visit uh, um, Albert maybe a month ago. We've been there the year before. The last thing he said to me was, do me a favor and do Richard's show. He said, I, my biggest regret is that I didn't do it sooner. He is a nice man. He will treat you well. So this, uh, besides Elizabeth Taylor, this is in honor of Albert. Oh,
0: uh, well, I have a lot to live up to then. Uh, all, I absolutely, let's let's start by celebrating Albert Poland. Yes, I mean, this is a man, first of all, his book, Everybody's Stages, is a phenomenal book great uh, and a great memoir. And he just, and it's filled with love and respect for people in the business. Um, I am not a gossipy type of a person. Uh, and as you know, you and I have had these discussions before. No. Uh, his book is not gossipy. No. Um, There are a lot of people out there who are, and I respect those. If they wanna do that, that's fine. That's for another show and go watch those shows and celebrate those shows as well. But Damon, I wanna ask you, I mean, because of the conversations and what pulled us together is your love of this business. Um, Where did this love originate? I know that you grew up in Baltimore, uh, but did you grow
1: up in a household
0: that was filled with theater or surrounded with theater?
1: Okay, let me tell you the first story. I just told this to um, the head of the Ava Gardner Museum, okay? I was four years old. My mother took me to see the Barefoot Contessa. Uh Ah. We got back into the house i wrap myself up in a sheet <laughs> <laughs> i fly around the whole damn house now you know this is 1711 north payson street we had the marble steps in baltimore my grandfather said Teal, what the hell have you done with this boy i sat down in the living room in front of one of those box black and white tvs and watched the tv that was my first introduction to being a performer and to being different from my family. That that I was four years old. Um, I always had cast albums in the house. Oklahoma, South Pacific, Jamaica, um, House of Flowers. Uh, the, my fr- crush was Pat Suzuki and Flower Drum Song. Um, so, you know, this... The business was not unusual. I remember in the sixth grade, Mrs. Taylor at PS 60 on Windsor's Parkway, we had to write an autobiography. And and ironically, it I think I ended it with me being in Porgy and Bess, which sport life is one of the roles I, I did. Um my mother also worked for the black press, the Baltimore Afro-American. That was one of her jobs. And I can remember the newspaper strike of the 1960s, early. Mrs. Oliver, Elizabeth Oliver, the Baltimore Afro, she said, here, Bertil, take Dickie, because they knew Ms. Dickie. You take the press pass, and you go to New York and see some shows. It was the middle of a newspaper strike. I don't know anybody old enough to remember that. We saw No Strings, Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright. Um, um, I played with Sam Levine and I think Stop the World. We or, we interviewed Alvin Ailey in his dressing room. I was 13 years old. Wow. In that cast was Alvin, Claudia McNeil, Diana Sands, Cecily Tyson, Robert Hooks. Uh, in those, this is a funny story. So we interviewed Diane and just after the interview was over. I said, "Oh, Miss Carol, I interview I, I I envy you so much. I mean, all these gowns and wigs." <laughs> my mother got me and said, "Boy, that you have to embarrass me." I mean, I mean, I mean the gowns and wigs. I said, "Well, just." Diane played my mother in Roots. and I played Alex Haley. And I told her this story and we had a huge laugh over it, you know, but, um, I always knew, I always knew. I think at 13, I made my professional debut at the center stage in Baltimore. I think the guy's name was Ed Golden. I think it was on center street. It was a children's musical. I I studied with Debbie London. I worked with Steve Shockett. I, uh, uh, Howard and Ashman and I, oh, Howard and I were in children's theater together at 11. Wow. And we did a production of the Fantastics together in high school. He played the boy. I was the narrator. It, it just was always there. And then I went to Interlochen. In my well, time.
0: I want to talk about that in a moment. But you just described my childhood, except for, you know, uh, going to New York at 13 and having th- that incredible experience. Uh, but I would go to the movies and I would come home and I would imitate everything. <laughs> in I mean, in my high school and I, you know, I have on my wall, I have a. a portrait of my high school I used to perform on the front steps of my high school which is no longer there Mm -hmm. um and I would perform on the front steps and I would do these lunchtime concerts acting out everything I had seen on television the night before and when I went back to school uh, for my 40th anniversary the one thing that everyone wanted me to do was my interpretation of steam heat it wasn't. Steam, it wasn't steam heat. In the drama game.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Pointer sisters. <laughs> steam heat that I had seen on the Cal Burnett show. Oh my! God. I, and I've had Anita Pointer on this show. And yes, I was yes. Able to share yes. that story with her. Well, you know, it's
1: funny that you mentioned high school because when I went to school, although. Brown versus Board of Education and Integration existed. I went to predominantly Black public schools and we had incredible teachers. In my junior high school was a man named George Barrick who headed the drama department. And I remember us doing a miniature and a bridge version of Al Town in the ninth grade. And then I went to Douglas High School. Um, we had the greatest teacher, Juilliard trained. Marion T. Smith. We had in the drama department Mary West Miller Jones. I mean, oh God. I, I just marveled to think that we didn't want for anything. You understand? We well, really I'm so didn't. glad
0: that you are mentioning these teachers and you remember them by name. Oh yes. Because, oh my god. I do, I do too. Because oh, um, you know, I was very fortunate to have Carol Channing, as a friend. And at a time when most people would have rested on their laurels, her and her husband were traipsing around the country with him driving um, where they were fighting for the uh, arts and education in schools. Um, The last, until they were no longer able to do it, they were fighting to get arts and education. Um, Most people may not even realize this when funding is cut First thing that gets cut uh, arts. is the arts and education. Yeah. And one of the things that being in a school play, uh, if you are lucky enough to be a, 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 on any level, whether it's behind the scenes or on stage, uh-huh. you were taught community, you're taught uh, team uh, teammanship, you're taught all of these things uh, that help you in later in life. Oh, yes. And okay. it's a shame that a lot of kids... Do not have it. And one of the things that Harry, Carol's husband, used to say, unless a kid is exposed to uh, a xylophone or a microphone, they
1: won't know the difference between them. No, they won't. Now, I've also got to tell you this. I can remember at the age, I think about 13, sitting next to Langston Hughes when he came to a production at the Arena Playhouse in Baltimore. To people who do not know, the Arena Playhouse is the second oldest African American community theater in the United States. The first is the Karamu in Cleveland. His play, simply heavenly, was being performed there. I am sitting next to um, um, Langston. Um, the Arena Players: Camilla Sherrod, Sam Wilson, June Thorne, Dolores Stokes. I. Uh, uh, um, Oh, I can't remember his name now. Um, uh, um, did all these plays after the fall, uh, 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 Glass Menagerie? Uh, I, I grew up with this. And in 1973, they gave me an award. They also have awarded to Andre, the to Shields, we're Baltimoreans, Tarzana Beverly, Howard Rawlins, we're all Baltimore people. So, I mean, you know, I, but I think back. I don't remember when the arts weren't a part of it. You know? You know, I mean, really.
0: Growing up for me in South Carolina, my teachers, all my teachers, I I worked very hard. I was a straight A student. I was in the honor society. And when these theater productions would come through my hometown, my teachers would let me out of class so that I could go and see them. And I would always make my way backstage. And I would always say, when I graduate from high school, I'm going to go to New York. Who should I study with? Where should I go? What should I know? Because it was always the dream. I knew that this was what I was going to do. Uh, You also had your eye on that prize. Um, You... This is a question that I've been wanting to ask you. Uh, I know it's out there um, sometimes, uh, and I've been burned by uh, what I've read uh, sometimes uh, in a Wikipedia bio. Mm -hmm. But it said that you went to Interlochen on a Reader's Digest scholarship.
1: Yes. That is true, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Can you
0: explain how that happened?
1: Okay, okay. First of all, just before I go to that, I also want to give credit to another lady, Isabel Berger. She ran Children's Theater Association. This is where Howard and I met, Eddie Strauss, Broadway conductor, met at age 11. This was 1960, 61. I think there were only two or three Black kids there. The the doors that have been opened... um, Isabel, we called her Deary, was so far ahead of her time. I remember being cast um, in Tom Sawyer. Eddie was, I think, Tom. Um, um, I went to Peabody Prep Department. I studied with Debbie London um, uh, at the, the children's workshop with shock and all these other wonderful people. It was always there, always there. So I had a strong background when I got to interlock. What happened? Okay. Um, it was my 11th grade. I'm going to tell you the whole thing. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was living with my grandparents in Maryland. My grandmother was a phenomenal woman. She was also a very strong woman she couldn't take the fact she she could couldn't deal with certain things like i was different okay so i said just i don't think this is gonna last i gotta get out of here (laughs) so it was the 1960s and institutions were opening their doors to diversify student populations And I said, I I think I've got something going here. So I wrote to every boarding school, every arts uh, institution that had had a high school and ended up with a scholarship, Reader's Digest, to the National Music Camp, which is Interlochen. When I got there that summer, halfway through the summer, they said, how would you like to go to school here? They called... Mrs. Cedric Dowling, who ran the National Federation of Music Clubs, which administered the scholarship, and said, will you continue the financial aid? And Clinton DeWitt Wallace, I think, who ran Reader's Digest, said yes. And that's how I went to Wow. What a great story. I remember all of these people. It, it was Mrs. Dowling, who was instrumental in reaching out to Reader's Digest, who had given the money to the National Federation of Music Clubs, and said, "Would you fund him?" And that's how I got there. Now
0: we mentioned uh, Albert Poland, uh, Albert
1: Peaches Poland. Uh, when are you <laughs> going to write your memoirs? I'm I'm doing it now. Um, I'm 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 not sure if it's going to be in the form of a memoir. And by the way, people, I've got to tell you, and I know. Richard has probably told you this you've got to get Mary Rogers book you've got to get this memoir this this, this. and Jesse Green if you're out there I want you to come on the show he is what it's wonderful um um and or oh, I'm not sure if it's going to be a one man show or what but I'm in the process of doing and I owe that to my college professor at Brooklyn College Dr Dale Bynum who taught um, um, African-American drama and literature. I got my degree, my longtime dream, at the age of 69 with honors from Brooklyn College in Africana Studies and a minor in history. And she is the one who encouraged me to tell your story. And up until then, I didn't. I, 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 I didn't think I had a story because... Richard, I was never taught to do it for myself. Wow, that's amazing. So, it wasn't until I told it the first time I said, "Oh wow, I I, I really did do something." And uh, I mean, that's just the truth.
0: There, I mean, there are so many parallels between your story and my story. As I'm talking about the the childhood aspects of it.
1: Yes, mm-hmm.
0: I spent um, many summers living with my grandparents. My grandmother was very, very strong and was... Uh, she encouraged me to follow my dreams. Mm-hmm. When everybody, including my parents, everybody laughed and said, you know, these are pipe dreams. You're never going to go anywhere over this. Uh, just stop, stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was so determined that I was going to make this happen. Um, did you... I mean... Were your parents uh, still involved in terms, I mean, did they still believe uh, and encourage you to follow your dreams? Or were you really much, pretty much on your own as far as pursuing
1: your dreams? My mother and father divorced when I was, I think, two. Okay. So it was pretty much my father, my mother and I, and pretty much her side of the family. Uh, Um. I all of them. My grandmother and my aunt were teachers, so they kept saying, "Well, you know, go to school, get your teaching degree, <laughs> and um,
0: have something to fall back
1: oh, on." Exactly, exactly. Yes. Exactly. yes. Okay? Uh, uh, so, uh, um, I think my mother was the one. Um, uh, God, that our relationship was almost one of emotional incest because I didn't know where I began and she ended. Um, but once she saw the talent, she certainly was pushing uh, me. Um, was she a stage mother? Yes and no. But um, um, And then once I started performing and achieving things, they were there. Uh, uh, but But it was definitely get something to fall back on, definitely that was the mentality of the era. That was the mentality of the household I grew up in, and um, that, that that was it. But I always just—I I never doubted it. I never doubted I would have a career. I just didn't. You know, it was so uh, Stanley um, Bennett Clay. A young black actor, we were in Hollywood together, and he, we we, we never met. We, we met after 45 years, we hooked up. And he said, did you ever think that we would be part of history? I said, no, no, I just did the job. And he said, I didn't either. I mean, the things that we did on Broadway television, no, you just did the job. You... You weren't in the moment that aware. I wasn't, although I knew I was working with great people. Always knew I was working with great
0: people. Well, I know there's the close proximity of Baltimore to New York, but there comes a point in every actor's life, young actor who wants to pursue a career where you're thinking of the West Coast or staying on the East Coast in Mm -hmm. your case. Um, So, I'm assuming that New York was the logical choice for you. Always. So did an equity card bring you to New York or did you
1: get your equity card after you got to New York? Okay, here's another good story. I was in my sophomore year at the Boston Conservatory of Music after I graduated from New York. And I was an understudy in the Boston Company of Hair. That's how I got my um, equity card. Now, before that, I did a workshop production with the great Broadway director, choreographer, Billy Wilson, who taught me how to work. Billy was gonna fire me. And I remember um, I came there and there was an actor there. I said, why is he here? He said, because you're not working. You work, I'll get rid of him. It just hit me. Uh, I learned to work through Billy. I'll never forget, uh, when we were doing hair, we were closed out of town uh, because of obscenity, 1970. Mm -hmm. And they went to trial. And do you know who was on our defense team? A young graduate Harvard Law student named Alan Dershowitz. Uh, We won the case. I remember company trying out across the street. And whenever I didn't have to go on, I would go and see company. And I remember being so excited. I thought I was going to pee on myself. I knew (laughs) that something great in the American musical theater was taking place.
0: I, just, I want to say thank God for hair because so many people that have been on this show got their equity cards or got their breaks with that show.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And there were so many companies around the country, but one of the things that I've discovered about this, and if you can shed some light on this as well, is that each production or each company of hair it's different. is different.
1: different. Yes. Yes. It, it's true. And different directors. Yes, yes. Uh, Julie Arnell, who was our choreographer, I think, I remember Julie coming in and working with us. But each production was different. I think our director was Jim Sharman, who was an Australian. Um, um, And in that cast was Donna Summer's sisters, the Gaines sisters. And you think Donna can sing, her. Mm. Could blow, could blow, blow, blow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I remember a couple, Lloyd and Sandra, I think they got married. Oh, it was a wonderful cast. It was a wonderful cast. Yeah.
0: So, but how did that get you to New York?
1: Did, uh, after, uh... after that, I remember I left school and I was going to New York and I was going to work in the theater. And the first show I did was an off-Broadway show. It only lasted a week with our June Gable, our wonderful, beloved June Gable, yes. uh, uh, written by Earl Wilson's son. Yes. Um, and, and then I, I was a student at Manhattan School, and I remember this is when I met Albert. I auditioned, I think, for Let My People Come, or let my people go, or whatever. And I remember going to Albert said, Albert, I just got cast in the Jeffersons. I can't do the show. And he said, Well, go, go, go. But yeah, yeah. But I mean, in between that, I still did some fabulous theater work. Pearl Bailey, Mama Pearl on the wall. Um, <laughs> I I loved her. I truly loved this lady. Um, do you know she came to my Broadway. Debut in the Me Nobody Knows.
0: Wow. I didn't even
1: know she was there until my, she came backstage. She said, You'll get better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I, and I, got the, I only saw her once. Uh-huh. I went to the Merv Griffin, I, I went to a taping of the Merv Griffin show, uh-huh. and his guests were uh, Gerald and Betty Ford, believe it or not. And she was very close with them. Yes, yes. So yes, she yes. She came on as a surprise. Yes. And yes. she came through the audience. I can see her as clearly wow. as I see you right now. Yeah. And she came through the audience with a brown and yellow moo moo. Yes. She sang just in time. And I hope I can find that episode someday. And she worked the audience and she owned that theater. I mean, it was one of the best experiences of my life being in the theater, seeing her. Um, I want to talk a moment about the Jeffersons because Uh so many people know you from this. I mean, Mike Evans and then Damon Evans, no relation at all.
1: You Um, know, I never met him, but I did meet his mother. I went to church one Sunday, my first year on the show. And this woman came up to me and she said, you don't know me, but I'm... Mike's mother and I just want to congratulate you Wow uh, uh, that's the closest I ever got to to Mike yeah
0: but you, you are in a very unique group uh, when I think of the two Darren's and the two uh, Gladys Kravitz and the two Becky's on Roseanne to step into a role it's one thing when you are when you come into a Broadway show as a, I never use the word replace because I don't believe anyone can be replaced. But you step into their shoes mm-hmm. and you bring your persona into that. Yeah. But when you are doing a character I mean first of all he had all those years on All in the Family and then you are doing the Jeffersons and he had been on that for a couple of years. Um, What do you bring to the role or what are you asked to bring to the role to step into that and was
1: that an easy thing for you to do or was it a difficult transition for you? It was hell and I'll tell you why first of all I had never seen the Jeffersons when I was cast (laughs) I was so different from Mike um We take before a live audience, and before every episode that we perform, the cast was introduced to the audience, and I can remember probably for definitely the first year, maybe for the first year and a half, there would always be someone in the audience who says, what happened to the other Lionel? And so, yeah, it was hell. Um, as you may know from what you ever you know about Bewitched, um Agnes Moorhead wasn't that welcoming to the second Dart? That's right. I always knew that Isabel preferred Mike. In fact, the great Hattie Winston, who was one of the original members of NEC, pulled me aside my first year. She said, Watch out. I I can see on the TV screen that there's no support for you there. The greatest support I received and who I loved to this day was Lenny Kravitz's mother, Roxy Roker. She was my heart and I always felt safe around Roxy. I don't I, I just felt safe around her. I loved her, I worshiped her. I loved my, uh, uh, Mother Jefferson, too. Um, I, I I was surprised. I, I'd gone online. I, I was a pallbearer at her funeral. I, I don't remember that, but I loved her because she reminded me of my grandmother who wow. <laughs> raised <It amazed> me. <laughs> yeah, else. Yeah. It was a wonderful cast. Uh, Sherman, of course, I knew from New York. Uh, I had such respect for Florence, uh, uh, Mother Gibbs, um, um, because when we were on the show, people don't know this. Bala had a full time job at an airline. She didn't become a regular until probably her third season on the show. Um, 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 so it was very, very different.
0: How did that come about for you? Were you called in to audition for this, or was it something that you? Pursued?
1: No, I didn't. I didn't pursue it. Basically, I had. Uh, I had anyone, please. I was just able to make a connection with the wonderful, talented, beautiful Lindsay Krause. I had done a soap at CBS, but I had also done a drama with Lindsay and William Shatner called 10th Level. I remember being so nervous, my legs were shaking, and Lindsay came up to me. And she said, "I don't know how you do it. You have one or two lines, and they expect you to sit around all day and deliver." And I immediately became calm. I've been looking at her for her over forty years to thank her for that. Um, um, I Pat Kirkland was head of casting for CBS, and. I think I went by Pat's office because in those days you taped in the -hmm. complex in CBS. And she said, you know where they're looking for it. So it it was just sort of like that. I, I I remember even going home and there were all these messages from CBS that I had a call back. They wanted to fly me to California. And, um, I get there, I, I, I do the flight. Um, I forget the hotel, but there I remember was Peter Allen lounging on the the, the deck and all this, (laughs) Uh, you know. And um, what people don't know is that after the original audition, they called Norman in. And he said, I know you. I said, yeah. He said, we were thinking of you for the role of J.J. in Good Times. If you want, the part it's yours. We don't need a screen test. And that's how it happened. That's amazing. I had, In fact, I, uh, the last uh, thing I remember, Jan Mary, who was the casting director for Good Time, said, you're the best actor we've seen so far, but we're going to see a comedian tonight, who was Jimmy Walker, who eventually got the But yeah, so Norman had already seen me by the time I met him. So it 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 just all this stuff just sort of fell into place. Like that's why when Stanley and I were talking, he said, "Well, did you realize?" I said, "No, (laughs) it just kind of was there." When you
0: went into television, was that an easy transition for you? No, no.
1: Um, I remember uh, having to go to an acting coach because everything was larger than life. (laughs) <laughs> I know. Um, um, there was a time one episode halfway through my first season that they were actually thinking of getting rid of me because I didn't get a laugh they inserted a laugh track it was Norman who stood up for me and I went to an acting coach and from that oh I remember what happened they pulled me in the office and they said did you watch yourself? I said, yes. They said, never watch yourself again. Mm. I have become paralyzed from having watched myself. To this day, I have never seen anything I've done on film.
0: Never. Well, do you want me to tell you how good you are?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have never seen myself on film. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so- I, I, you know,
0: I do not. I mean, these interviews, I mean, I, they're all out there. I do not go back and watch them. I, uh, I, I hope that other people do. Uh, videos that I've done, shows that I've done, people say, Oh, I'd love to see that again. Mm-hmm. I don't go back. I'm always looking ahead. Mm-hmm. And I know you are too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, no, it wasn't, it wasn't at all easy at all. And
0: after you, after that series ended, I mean, I know you did Roots, you've done other things, but um, then going into the theater and so many actors that I've interviewed. I mean, one of my uh, favorite interviews um, was with Dorothy Lyman um, oh, okay. to uh, to hear her perspective on how the... Uh, doing mama's family uh she feels really hurt her career because uh when it went into syndication um where they got no money unfortunately and it's still showing 24 7 on weekends Mm -hmm. uh, still no money for these actors which is a shame Mm -hmm. uh somebody needs to do something retroactively um but uh that She was doing, she did, uh, you know, uh, 26, uh, I mean, there were so many seasons that uh, there was no time, uh, no energy to do anything else in her career. And
1: uh, although she's done a lot of directing and other things, that's what she's known for. Well, Um, it's, it's interesting you say that, Richard, because, you know, actually, about I have straddled theater and also the classical music world going back and forth. And after the, the Jeffersons, I came back, I was studying, and the classical music world was extremely resistant to my TV background. The only person who understood it was Beverly Sills. I remember auditioning for um, Arknotton uh, by Philip Glass. Again, Within two weeks, I was making my New York City opera debut. And, and I remember she called my manager at the time. She said, We haven't seen any press on him. And he said, Well, you know, I, I didn't know. Look, he is a good singer, but he's also Lionel from the Jefferson. We want to sell tickets. And she was the only one. Otherwise, they would say, uh, uh, say, That doesn't mean anything. That is why I spent close to seven years in London. I got nominated for an Olivier Award. I sang at Glyndebourne Opera, Royal Opera House, London Symphony. I recorded at Abbey Studios. I was nominated for an Olivier Award. I would do television. They don't pigeonhole you over there, as you know. You can do this, that, that, and you're a performer. You're an artist. But here, we pigeonhole
0: people. I want to talk about that for a moment, but I have a question from uh, Danny Miller, who's watching, and um, to get back to the Jeffersons, and then we're going to move on, he he says he wonders how Belinda Tolbert was uh, acting towards you, Um, that uh, you know, when you came into the show, what was that relationship like?
1: A professional colleague. Yes. Yes. You know, it's so funny because so many people, when they see us and they see the camaraderie on camera, they think that our lives off camera is that way. It is a job, people. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> it is a job. You go home afterwards, you know. Right. Um, yes. Like I said, first of all, another reason I was so enamored of uh Roxy, is that I knew Roxy from New York. When I was doing Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope on Broadway, she was next door doing The River Niger. You know, so, you know, um, um, but no, after the six o'clock, you go home. You know, Um, like I said, I really respected the entire cast as professionals. There were certain individuals who I was particularly fond of.
0: I want to get back to something you just said about the pigeonholing that we do in this country.
1: Do you have a theory on that? Well, I'll tell you what. I've reached the age of my life. It's very important for me to thank those people who who have helped me in any little way. I just wrote a letter to Lee Grant because she was one of the actors who my acting teacher would always put up as Mm -hmm. being on purpose, doing the work. And I remember her talking about when she wanted to direct and that Hollywood basically wouldn't allow her. She had Mm -hmm. to relocate back to New York. Uh, um, Those of us from the American musical theater world knows, oh, you're from musicals. I know, absolutely. (laughs) So you can't act, you know. Um, um, My friend Candy Brown, I was saying... uh, uh, Oh,
0: Candy, I love her (laughs) so much. She just comes
1: up and I said something about being a Fosse dancer. She said, do you know after all these years, they still call me a Fosse dancer? I've acted, I've directed. It's the nature. I think it's a particularly... American phenomenon as well. Like I said, I didn't encounter this overseas. I really did. But here in the United States, whether it makes other people feel comfortable, I don't know. But we do it here.
0: Well, well I want to ask you, because, I mean, as I mentioned at the beginning of uh, our show today, uh, this is Resist Superstitions Day. And most people in the theater, I know me, Mm -hmm. I'm superstitious. Do you have any theater superstitions?
1: Uh, Don't say break a leg. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's probably the only one I can think of. Really? Um, Other than that, no. I know if I, I stump a crack... On the sidewalk, I'll turn around three times. But <laughs> I really do. I do. I do. What can I tell you? <laughs> but no, I, I can't think of any. Uh,
0: uh, you know, looking back over your career, and you're still very active, and I cannot wait for this memoir to come out. I can't wait for your one-man show. I can't wait for all of the uh, what's ahead. Uh, but is there any particular point looking back at your career? Um Where uh, the word that I chose for today, and I'm going to do a giveaway, um, that I chose for today is growth. I want to know what particular time in your life or career, it could be before your career took off, where you feel that you experienced the most growth in your career or life.
1: Okay. This is a very important time. Um. I loved interlocking and I wouldn't have been able to do what I did upon graduation if I hadn't had it. It was also a very difficult time. Um, uh, I go from an all-black high school to this all-white environment um, where you were on your own. I was performing. I was exhausted when I graduated. And I was one of the few people who didn't go directly to college. What I did do was I remember the whole time I met Interlochen, I asked myself, why me? Why was I chosen when there's so many kids, black kids, as talented, more talented than myself who didn't get this opportunity? And what happened was that I came home and I started an opera company. All black kids from Douglas to Morgan to Peabody. And we put on two operas at the Arena Playhouse by Minotti, the Telephone, the Medium. We were so successful. We did it again. On The Baltimore Sun, the Baltimore Afro, reviewed it. What, uh, two of our singers went on to the Met. One singer went on to a Fulbright. My cousin ended up teaching voice at the Baltimore School of the Arts. And I remember thinking, this is what it really is about. It's about taking what you have done and passing it on to the next group of people and teaching them. And that's what I try to do to this day, Uh, you know. And one of the things I always tell young people, why are you in such a hurry? (laughs) Learn to enjoy the process of becoming all you can be. That's why we have uh, Priscilla Lopez and Andre DeShields. These are the people who I, I look up to today, you know. I'm um, 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 Hines. Enjoy the process of becoming. There, 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 there is no, there's no, there there. It's, it's just a steady progress of growing and evolving. That really is what it's about.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm going to do my wind down questions as we wind down the interview. And these are just fun questions. They're random questions uh, just to give everyone uh, a broader sense of view. Um, And uh, the first three questions are surprise questions because I haven't even looked at them yet. (laughs) And the first question is, uh, what chance encounter changed your life forever? Hmm. Besides me, of course.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I think I told you this story. I'm 13 years old, 14 maybe, because Bobby I had met in Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright, Robert Hooks. He was appearing in The Milk Train Doesn't Stop Here Anymore. At the Old Ford's. Oh, I love the
0: story. I love this story. I'm glad you're telling it. <laughs> I love it. I have told this story to
1: so many people. So thank At the you. Old Ford's Theater in Baltimore, I must have been in the eighth or ninth grade. I, uh, um, it starred Bank Bankhead, Ruth Ford, Tallulah, uh, and Tab Hunter. I had just left the bookstore. Where I had purchased Tallulah's memoir. He had wrapped it up in brown paper, tied it in a string, and I'm taking the shortcut home, the back alley of the Ford's Theater, and a taxi drives up. And who should pop up but Tallulah Bankhead? And I said, Oh my God, Miss Bankhead, Miss Bankhead, I just bought your book. I just bought your book. Please, will you sign it? She said, Give me a pen. And so, I'm frantically searching, I can't find a pen. The man next to her, who accompanied her, gave a pen. She signed the book and thrust it to me. And she said, "Never ask a star for an autograph." Without <laughs> <a pen."
0: laughs> I love the fact that she said, "Never ask a star." <laughs>
1: I swear, they were her exact words. I
0: believe you. I know it. I, I I have told so many people that story. I love it. That's great. It's true. It's true. It's true. Oh, my God. My next surprise question. But
1: I never have. I never have since. I never have since. I'm oh, sure if wonderful. there's who's autographed on what, I have a pit
0: uh, better than that, always have a sharpie on your face. <laughs> so next, what's something that you learned about yourself in the last three months?
1: Um, I'm still here. And I have to tell my story. I have to, it's a final healing for me whether it's a memoir, one-man show, whatever, I have to tell it. It's uh, um, not only is it a closure, um, but there are certain people whose stories I didn't understand as I was growing up who I can maybe understand and forgive and move on because I'm carrying around too much stuff, and it's not healthy for me. So I know I have to tell this story. I know I must tell my story.
0: I can't wait. Uh, This is a card called Open Loop. Uh I don't know what I'm going to ask, but it says, start a sentence and wait for the other person to ask you to finish it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you know what would be great right now, dot, 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 Uh, how it works The brain is programmed to bring everything to a conclusion if you start a sentence that the other person asks you to continue. They'll feel more invested in the conversation. So you start a sentence, and I'll finish it.
1: Um, How are you feeling today, Richard?
0: Well, that's asking a question. Okay. Okay, start a sentence, and I'll finish the sentence. Okay.
1: Today is the first day of the rest of my life. And
0: it started off beautifully because I had the opportunity to sit and talk with a brilliant man named Damon Evans.
1: And I feel so grateful and humbled that you would ask me, because as you know, we've had our own private little conversations. You've taught me some things, and I thank you for that. I, really I can't can. wait
0: until we do dinner, and we're going to do that dinner <laughs> with Albert Poland. We're going to have a great dinner <laughs> together. Okay? So, um, last Friday, and I, you know, and I asked this question last night. I had Stacia Fernandez on the show last night. Have you ever worked with her? No. Phenomenal actress, mm-hmm. and I asked her this question last night because last Friday was Wonderful Weirdo Day. And that, our Friday wrap-up show. And so I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked her last night. Do you consider the word weirdo an insult?
1: Not really. No. Not at all. Um, because, see, what what is weird to you may be perfectly normal to me. Right. And it may be quite brilliant and wonderful to me. That's right. And I may want to be. Weirdo, you know I may want to celebrate my weirdness. No, I do not. I don't. No,
0: and I celebrate that little boy wearing that sheet dancing around (laughs) the barefoot Contessa. Because for me, I mean, you know, I did a one-man show, and I said, "Imagine my parents having a kid who, at five years old, thought he was Carol Channing." My poor parents. So what is the most rebellious thing that you've ever wanted to do, but
1: didn't? Oh. The most rebellious thing I've ever wanted to do, but didn't. Probably to stand up to my grandmother. Um, she was the matriarch, the true matriarch of the family. And um, a strong woman, very much like Sal Minio's mother. I don't know if you know Sal. Yes, story. of course. Okay. Yes. Um, um, and I wish I could have done it in a way that. She could have understood, but instead i ran, I kept running, I ran mm-hmm. the interlock and I ran away to school. You know, I just kept running um and 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 that's the best I could do at that point because I was afraid I'd lose control. wow, wow, um, what are you up to in the next thirty minutes after
0: today's show?
1: Probably coming down from this. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm, I'm telling you, Richard, I was so scared. I said, oh, my God. I said, "I took 10 COVID tests out to think I was so much. <laughs> Every time I go to the library, I take at least six with me because they um, have the right thing.
0: Wow. This is from my – I have a calendar of, uh, you know, positive actions, and I'm going to read from this. It says, the older I get, the more humble I become. I know so much, yet there is still so much to learn and experience. Today's self-love action. Mm -hmm. Today, when I encounter a new idea or am offered a new experience, I'll approach it with humility by listening more and speaking less. What is something that you are excited about learning about that you have not really, that you feel that is still ahead of you to learn?
1: Um that I have the capacity to overcome fears that are standing in the way. I I, I I, did my first talk about my life, I think January, April 2021 at Brooklyn College. Um, and since then, people said, you've got to write the memoir and stuff. And I realized I'm stalling because I'm afraid to tell my story. And I remember reaching out to my friend, um, uh, Robert Jones, who wrote the wonderful book, The Prophets. And I said, do you get scared? And he said, all the time. He said, the whole time I was writing The Prophets, I was scared because it was a story that had never been told before. Mm. So I I didn't know how it would be received. And he said, uh, look, it took my friend Michael Jackson, 20 years to write and put on a strange fruit, a strange loop. So yes, we're all scared when we are crossing boundaries, when we are breaking taboos, when we are moving forward and telling stories that haven't been told.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm right there with you. So <laughs> it, um, um what are three things that you need to
1: throw out? Of your life uh, procrastination, <laughs> um, um, uh, um, um, the fear that we just talked about, it. and um, not being grateful for all that I have. I need to make a daily gratitude list.
0: Amen. I'm with you on that. Um, And it's funny that you say that because this is a daily acts of kindness. Mm -hmm. Um, Hold a door open for someone. There are many doors that are going to open for you once you start telling those truths. Um, This is a very interesting question based on what you just said. What are you most afraid of winning at And if you do win, what would that mean to you?
1: Okay, repeat that question. What
0: are you most afraid of winning? And if you
1: were to win, what would that mean to you? Okay, I think I have the answer. Winning at reclaiming my life and achievement for myself because it would mean that I, have ownership of it as opposed to doing it for someone
0: else. Amen. It's interesting that you say that. I'm going to find a clip. If I can find this clip, there's a clip of uh, David Bowie who said that exact same thing that I saw yesterday. And he said, when you are creating art, you need to create art for yourself. Because once you start creating art for someone else, you're giving up ownership of that art.
1: Well, look, your life should be lived for yourself. Period. Yes. Period. You know? Um, yeah. Otherwise, you're just giving it away. And 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 you don't appreciate the effort you have put into it, you know, to get to where you are. Must definitely. I agree with him. Absolutely. Yeah, but wait a minute. Wasn't David married to Iman? Yes. Yes, Iman came on The Jeffersons. I met her. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't so in that I wasn't in that episode, but I remember I was on the set that day and they introduced me to her. Yeah, beautiful woman. Beautiful.
0: Why are you passionate about what you do?
1: Oh my god. I I I, I always have been. That's all I can say. I don't remember not being passionate about the arts. I believe it is such a lifeblood for all of us. When I go to the theater or anything in the arts today, I see how it feeds us, how it educates us, how it broadens our minds. You know, for instance, when I started that little opera group, one of the things was I loved opera. I loved the performing arts and no one, in my age group and in the Black community was relating to it. And once we did that little opera in that little theater, people said, oh God, it was just like a play with music. I I mean, you know, know, they were right on top of us, you know, and they got into the story. I I love, I'm um, um, sharing my love and, and, and seeing people, you know, uh, respond to it in kind and, and opening up their minds and say, Oh God, it, it is good. It's not as foreign as I thought it was.
0: That's wonderful. And this is my last question for you today. What are your truths?
1: Okay. Truths in what sense In what way? Uh,
0: those that you own, the truths that you want to share?
1: Like I believe in one's work. Life is a process of becoming. There's no need to hurry. There's no getting there. It is each day, each minute, each second of growing and evolving and becoming more and giving that out to the universe.
0: Damon, thank you so much. Don't go anywhere for a moment. Uh, we're do going to give our giveaway here. Thank you all for participating and we'll see who our winner is. And, uh, thank you. And it is Sheree Callahan. Once again, she's winning a lot these days, but she shows up. I think she's got the, uh, the magic touch from my hometown of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Don't go where, uh, anywhere for a moment. Uh, Damon, I want to thank you for being here, but uh, I'm going to give you the final word in just a moment. Okay. I want The word I chose today, everyone, uh, was growth. Um, and we all are growing each and every day with every moment by moment with what we do, how we act, and how we interact with everybody we come in contact with. Um, Damon, I grow with every show that I do. I learn so much. And the fact that you said yes to me, uh, Albert, thank you for pushing him in my direction. Uh, so I dedicate this show to Albert Peaches Poland. Uh I am so thrilled that you said yes to both him and to me. Uh, I am such an admirer of you and your body of worth. Uh, so thank you. Um, I want to thank, if, thank everybody for showing up this afternoon. I've said this before, and I will say it again, and Damon knows exactly what I'm talking about when I say this. Um, in this business, we don't take it lightly when you show up for us. You could have been anywhere else for the last hour, and the fact that you've decided to spin it with us means the world. Uh, but um, it doesn't stop here. Uh, we hope that you will go out and tell others about this show It's Telephone Tuesday. Pick up the phone, call a friend, tell them about this interview. Um, advertising is great. I've got some amazing sponsors this week. Kirk Peterson, Deborah Stone, Erin Caleb, and a mystery sponsor who uh, is sponsoring this show. Thank you all uh, for sponsoring this show and keeping me afloat. Uh, it means a lot to me. Uh, but word of mouth. Really helps, so please let your friends know about this. Um, I always end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the first name that pops up, and reach out with a phone call, not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call, and let that person know what they mean to you. As my dear friend Sean Moniker always says, we're all in this together but we're not in the same boat. And you never know what someone else is going through right now. But I always say, if you're gonna go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper alone. So I'm gonna leave the screen right now, Damon, and I'm gonna give you the final word. Anything you wanna say about anything that we talked about today that you wanna expound upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message you want to leave everyone with today, I thank you for being here. And when that book comes out or when your show is coming out, I want you to come back and we'll do part two. Okay. You promise
1: me that? I promise. I promise. Okay. So okay. it's all yours. Thank you. Okay. Okay. No. Um. Actually, I must say, Norman... Lear, Nickel, Ross, and West, the entire cast of the Jeffersons uh, uh, gave me an enormous gift. Because you see, up to that point in American television, there hadn't been a weekly portrayal of middle class and upper middle class Black people. And I had a chance to do that. Lionel was a college student working on his master's. I also, as I said, can understand Isabel being very supportive of Michael. When the Jeff when all in the family started, there it was Michael Evans and Isabel Sanford. There was no George, there was no one else. So, you know, that's history. So yeah, I I I understand that. Um, um time and age gives you perspective on things. And so um that's why I said I I have to write my life story. I have to write it or perform it so that I can let go of things that I now understand. And it has been an immense honor, privilege, and pleasure to share this time with you. and I hung